Hi, I'm Brandon O'Brien from Redeemer City to City. In this series, Church and Outbreak, we're talking with staff and ministry partners around the country as we try to figure out together how to respond wisely and faithfully to the global COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I'm speaking with Al Santino, who is Director of Community Engagement at Redeemer City to City and Director of Viva Uptown Incorporated. Al and I have a great conversation here about what it means to be a good neighbor and how, in many ways, that becomes more difficult in this season of social distancing. But most importantly, Al, I think, casts a really compelling vision for what it means to work for the shalom of the neighborhood, the city uh, in which you have been called to live. And he helps us to understand how even small initiatives uh, can reap really tangible benefits and lead to great opportunity to share the gospel with our neighbors. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. Thanks for listening. Hey, Al, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for the invite. It's good to be here. I've been really looking forward to talking to you about this because, um, well, for two reasons. One, we're now in month two of uh, uh, stay-at-home orders in New York City, which means that you and I have not had a chance to have one of our you know, side conversations in the office in like two months. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good to see your face and good to be in touch. Uh, but also, I've thought a lot about your work in community engagement and how how disruptive the current situation of coronavirus is for the kind of work that you do. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today uh, to catch up about uh, the work that you're doing, but I think it would be helpful to start to get a baseline for folks listening of, uh, if, if you could help us understand what community engagement is in general, um, in ordinary times before people are under stay at home rules and restrictions, um, how would you describe the work of community engagement? Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> it's really a relatively simple concept of working together with our neighbors for the well-being of our community. So you have churches, citizen groups, uh, associations, and even institutions just working together uh, on common ground uh, to make their neighborhood a better place. All right. So you and I are both, both of our churches in Uptown Manhattan are part of uh, a kind of community engagement group called Viva Uptown. And uh, maybe start with that and, and tell us a little about what Viva Uptown does, the kind of things that it engages with in the community to help us get a concrete sense of yeah, what this kind of community engagement can look like. Yeah, so Viva Uptown is, it, it's a collaboration of churches um, spearheading an effort to get alongside other community partners, kind of step into the ecosystem of the community and work on issues that are, are very strongly relevant to the community's well-being. Hmm. So for example, we have a partnership with uh, a charter school, a middle school and high school, when we're working with that school together to provide mentorship for um, middle school and high school kids that, you know, need adults in their life to help them, you know, navigate the struggles they're going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, it, my time in this neighborhood is much more limited than yours, but I know that we've also been part of a, uh, I think, a back-to-school um, uh school supply drive and some activity at the uh, at Thanksgiving time, I think a food drive. So uh, are those both functions of Viva Uptown as well? Yeah, so there's some other spots that we're, you know, our main focus right now is the mentorship, but we are uh, 
we, in, in conversations with the community and most of us living and engaging with the community for years now, we identified like four core areas of engagement. One of them is youth development, the other is health and nutrition. So we have a partnership with uh, New York City Love Kitchen, which is affiliated with one of our larger churches. Um, and we're providing volunteers to uh, help with the food pantry and food distribution, health and nutrition program, educating the community, coming alongside them for, uh, to support them in these areas, yeah. And so, but we do also support some schools uh, with like, you know, one-off events like a backpack drive or a Thanksgiving food distribution. So yeah, so we're working our way in, we're in early stages and we are working our way into different, into different places. That's great. Yeah, what's the advantage of, of this approach to community engagement where you're engaging other community uh, entities, multiple churches, et cetera, instead of like my church, or your church has our own individual kind of outreach program that we try to make a difference through. Yeah, so the difference is the difference actually comes around a preposition for you English majors. <laughs> uh, the preposition of for to the preposition of with. So um, churches will do outreach, uh, well intended and some some really good program, but it's it tends to be for the community and the agenda and the space and the logistics uh, um, are pretty much controlled by the church and owned by the church. Uh, when we move to with in community engagement, now we're engaging in a common space with a common agenda working together uh, with our communities on a particular issue. So it involves more of a partnership sense uh, and a common ground, a common space, a common agenda. Um, and it's not saying that the four is not necessary, but I think actually churches can do better things for the community when they're engaged with the community. Mm. Uh, That's good. Yeah, and I think um, the only other clarification I think could be helpful for people too is when we say community, that word means different things to different people. Um, if you live in a city like, New York, um, well, it could still mean multiple different things, but uh, there's such a, there can be such a, a narrow view of that, right? Like the, how, how local is local? Um, and so I'm just curious what you have in mind. When you say community engagement, are you talking about our churches band together to reach New York City or our churches band together to reach the whole uptown, which is what, a couple hundred thousand people? Or how, how do you think about that term community? Yeah, it, it, it's, it is a little complex in New York because um, the sense of what one's community is uh, can be defined differently. Some people would define it as the immediate, when I walk out the door, what's happening in the 10 blocks around my church or where I live. Others have more an extended view of their community uh, based on maybe uh, socioeconomic parameters or ethnic identification, immigrant identification. So it could be a little bit broader. And others have, frankly, not, geography doesn't come as much into play when they are thinking about community. It's kind of the, the peers that they associate with or the, the groups they associate with. And in New York City, communities are changing, in some cases, rapidly. <clears throat> so where one identified uh, geographically with a certain social group, because of the, the, the changeover in communities, um, the identification uh, is kind of getting fractured. Mm -hmm. 
I know that's complicated, but communities <laughs> are complicated. But yeah. I think for our calling and community engagement, we, we are encouraging churches to take ownership over their near community, which is could be the 10 or 15 blocks or around their church. Because we, biblically, I think a theology of shalom and place starts with the church being a good neighbor mm. um, in the ecosystem that it finds itself in. Um, for helping to develop, to, to enhance that ecosystem because some neighborhoods are not as, um, as coherent as they used to be. Hmm. But yeah, we, we, we like to um, emphasize the starting point of neighborhood. And I know there's a lot of challenges there, but we believe that does reflect, um, you know, God's intention for that neighborhood. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. And so you've brought up a couple of other really interesting terms here. And um, I do want us to pivot soon to kind of what's happening with coronavirus stuff, but I think this is really helpful. So we'll spend another couple minutes. You use the term shalom and talking about working for shalom in your community. Um, that's a word like community that kind of gets defined several different ways, um, or it gets used a lot without being defined at all. Uh, so I'm curious what you, again, how you would use that term in this discussion when you're working for this shalom of your community or neighborhood, what kinds of changes are you hoping to see? Yeah. So shalom, of course, is uh, a reflection of God's kingdom. Uh, it's peace, harmony, uh, the world, the way God intended it to be, community, the way God intended it to be. So it's, it has its roots in the nature and character of God. So we translated peace. But if we just use the word peace, that can take on a lot of different forms, depending on who's defining it. And uh, one doesn't have to be a believer to experience the peace that God intended in a community, but we don't get the fullness of it until we understand God's purpose uh, for Shalom. So if we're working in a community, we want to see peace. Um, we want to see that which honors God and his kingdom being restored. Uh, and there are diverse issues in our communities that, you know, reflect um, the brokenness that God wants to restore. Hmm. And that includes people coming to Christ and the gospel. So that peace of the community is not just a social reality, it's a spiritual reality because the spiritual and the social reality are together in the kingdom. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's really helpful. And it, it occurs to me as a way here of transitioning to kind of our current moment that one of the things that I've learned from you in our conversations and sort of being around the, the work that's happening in New York City in different ways is that really to be able to seek that kind of um, restoration in your neighborhood requires proximity, right? Like you have to, there are things that you can walk by on your way to the subway or whatever and never see. And I think what you're encouraging requires people to pause a little and to look around them more closely and more carefully, um, and which is a really valuable and beautiful thing. But that becomes upended really fast when there are restrictions about meeting and people can't be that proximity in some ways it hasn't gone away i still live as close to my next door neighbor <laughs> as i did before but there are regulations now about how i interact with them um and so i'm curious what you've seen shifting in some of these um networks and other things that you work in in response to coronavirus yeah and this has been a challenge for for the culture, the society, the church, uh, even in our community engagement, um, ongoing training, we've had to pause and the and say, well, what is happening? And we still don't, I don't know if anyone totally understands and gets a handle on what's really happening and how do we engage. Hmm. 
but we do know the reality of engagement has changed. It's the, um, the pathways of engagement have gotten narrower. So we have um, people in our neighborhoods that have needs, but how do we, how do we engage with them? Um, there's, uh, there's virtual engagement, which has some merit, um, but it's not fully, as we would say, incarnational and touching people the way God wants us to. Um, and so now there's forms of engagement in, in with our partners taking place where um, relief is a significant form of engagement. So like food distribution, um, medical supplies, you know, getting, getting uh, resources to people in need with the proper social distancing, but able to have some human contact, six feet, whatever. <laughs> but, but it's, it's, um, it's quite remarkable what we're seeing is the longing for human contact. So I was out with our Love Kitchen uh, group distributing food and just people were just saying, either, either they were saying it or they were exuding. It is so good to see like a real human, not mm. like a <laughs> Zoom person. Um, so this, this points to how we're creating an image of God and how, um, we're in, enlivened, whatever the word is, uh, when we encounter each other in these terms. So even though it's narrower, it's it's really uh, an opportunity to get involved with people in a like pinpoint way, and with neighbors you may have never crossed paths with much if it was if it was not COVID. But now it's almost like um, the pathways leading to the neighbor in need. And to having uh, critical relationships in a, in a critical time, um, so God is using this, I think, to form uh, uh, um, new relational connections. It's not broad, but God wants us to go deep and narrow. You know, so that's one thing I'm seeing. Mm, that's great. I, I I'm glad to hear you report that because I think another dynamic that I have heard about is that people are sort of suddenly. That some people, now that they're somewhat isolated from their broader communities, they may not know anyone who's experienced a death because of uh, the coronavirus, while other communities are having lots of experience with death, or they don't know anybody who's lost their job, while other communities have um, you know, lots of experience of job loss and disruption. And so in some ways, the the sudden social distancing reveals the fact that you are not and you know actually in touch with the needs of your community and the things that are going on right outside your door right and so i'm curious what you would advise someone who's kind of waking up to the fact that i always thought that i you know knew what was going on in my neighborhood but this has shown me that i'm that I, that i'm not in touch with the needs of the community right around me uh, how would you advise them to sort of get get connected, whether right now or when things lift a bit and they're better able to engage? Well, right now, it's the same principle, but right now it's heightened and it's more pinpoint, is um, find a, a place that's doing goodwill and good work in, in the neighborhood um, and plug in as a volunteer. And if it's uh, giving out food right now, or um, even if it's um, um, tutoring youth um, in a virtual situation, whatever it is, find a space uh, where you can have like a pinpoint connection to a real neighborhood need. Hmm. Um, get into that space and then, you know, engage with people. Now, outside of that should be happening COVID or not, 
Uh, now it, I think it warrants it and it kind of funnels people into this, into this pinpoint space because there's not a lot of spaces to, to get involved in. But in general, engagement means getting to know my neighborhood, getting to know the vibe of my neighborhood, getting to know um, who our neighbors are, what are the issues, what are the, what are the points of celebration in our neighborhood. Uh, and as we enter into that space, we're going to find places to contribute um, in various service opportunities or advocacy groups. So yeah, it's just getting in, getting into the vibe, finding the space and then beginning to contribute, not coming with a preconceived idea of, um, this is what I think our neighborhood needs. Let me, let me try to, but in COVID it's hard to start anything. <laughs> That's right. So COVID is just telling us, go, go find where, where there's uh, get into the vibe, find that little stream where you can get in and become part of the neighborhood yeah. and contribute, you know, that's, um, there's a place to start programs that will help, but it, that can't happen until we've spent significant time immersed in the neighborhood to, to find out what our place is going to be in that neighborhood. So. Yeah, and that's a good word. It, it makes me think that for a church that was maybe hesitant before about or, or wondered about the ministry value or the sort of spiritual value of connecting with an organization in its neighborhood that wasn't specifically religious or something like that. This, in some ways, this lowers the, ba the boundary, right? Like you can't start your own program now. So if you're going to be part of the solution, you need to hop in with somebody that's addressing a need, whether that's a, a you know, religious organization or not. And maybe this does help kind of break down a, even if it's a conceptual boundary to that kind of community partnership. Yeah, I, I think, well, there's a couple of dimensions here. One is, um, I think what churches fail to see often is um, in collaborating with groups, citizens and other groups in the community, um, they actually can see um, something happen in the community that they couldn't do by themselves. Hmm. But also, what also happens is it opens up the door for a re gospel relationships that they could have never gotten into. And I can tell you stories about some of the organizing we're doing in Washington Heights, how it's connected us not only to, to neighbors, but even getting people like our state senator involved and, and now having a platform to have like gospel conversations with his staff um, that it would never happen through like an invitation to church or some other evangelism opportunity. There are many ways to do evangelism, but doing it in the midst of community engagement is you're in a space with people. And as you're engaging over the issues, it opens up people um, to a lot of these things. And it's a, it is a visible demonstration of the gospel. That's great. So if partnership brings this, um, it's one of the fruits of being in partnering with the community. Yeah. You've uh, maybe to touch on one of those examples, you've mentioned a, um, uh, a sort of renewal or beautification project with a, a empty space, empty lot in Washington Heights. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and as it kind of how it illustrates what you were just describing? Yeah, so this, um, it's a long story, but this started with, I really, the, the engagement of, uh, at the beginning, one person from our congregation, she was already engaged in the neighborhood. She was also already being a good neighbor, already in the life of the neighborhood. She was actually um, an activist, an advocate in our neighborhood, first in her building. Um, 
she would always like rally the tenants when the landlord was not providing the, the right services for the, for the building. He also was very concerned with the environment of her neighborhood. Um, not only people picking up trash, but making sure it was recycled. And so she, she got the sanitation department to come in and do these recycling uh, forms and making sure all the buildings had their recycling bins out and all this good stuff. Well, in this neighborhood, there is this lot. It's a lot that is shared by about four or f I think about four landowners all have like joint parcels on this lot. And this lot was basically, it's underneath these buildings on stilts, so you can't really do much with it. But for 20 plus years, it was basically a, a dumping ground and a place for homeless people to camp out and other people to use. Um, there was drug usage going on there. It just was being used, but for less than wholesome reasons. <laughs> bringing a lot of shalom to the people using it and to the neighborhood. Right. So this person in our congregation, yeah, they were, they, we were doing a prayer walk. And as they did a prayer walk in the neighborhood, uh, they noticed a lot they, and they began to pray. And then the next question is, now what? And so in conversations I had with her, it became clear that we did not just want to be a church project where the church came in and cleaned the lot. That would have been a nice thing, but we wanted to see this become part of the shalom of the community and to see would the community respond to this. So she spent a lot of time, she's already had the connections to the neighbors. All right, so the cred was there. Spent a lot of time cultivating, knocking on doors. And sure enough, a group presented itself to say, we want to do something about the lot. We started cleaning it. Our church had some neighbors that lived in the community too. So there was proximity. It was together. One thing led to another. And as we cleaned, we realized that it's one thing to clean. It's another thing to deal with the source of the, the waste. And so a series of things had to take place. We had to um, advocate for health and environmental issues. We needed to, to see that violations were, were being placed on the buildings that were contributing to the pollution of the uh, neighborhood. There was water runoff. It was actually sewer runoff. So we went to the community board. We got some support from the community board. Um, this was a struggle. And it got to the point where um, we wanted us to do more than clean. We wanted to see the lot clean, free from environmental waste, but we wanted to turn it into a green space where we could plant. And the whole, so the whole face of the lot after 20 years would now be a, like a green space in the community. To make a long story short, there, were, there was a time when we, we, we just laid low because we were making no progress on the, the advocacy front. And, and this is a miracle of miracles. And this is why a neighborhood shalom network um, kind of draws, uh, can draw the right kind of attention to itself. One of our cleanups we were doing last year, um, somehow, I'm not sure how, but our state senator got hold of it through one of our flyers or one of his staff, read about it and was intrigued that this, knew about the lot, knew about the history, but was intrigued that this group of community members was doing this. So unbeknownst to us, he shows up at one of our cleanups with one of his staff members, rolls up his sleeves, and they start cleaning. Um, so I'm like, okay, now we've worked with politicians before. We know that sometimes they can come out for the event, actually roll up their sleeves, 
and they'll make pronouncements and you won't see them again. Just saying. Well, this senator said something must be done. Um, he, he assigned one of his staff members to work with us. A week later, they were on the phone with Department of Environmental Protection, Department of Health, Department of Buildings, and they got the ball rolling. To make a long story short, the miracle is the violations were not, not only were the violations done, but they were responded to in a timely manner. And the, the DEP and Department of Health actually came out, fixed a leaking sewer pipe that had been leaking for like seven years, pouring <laughs> sewer water. They did this in three months, wow. which is kind of, it's a miracle in New York City, <laughs> but it's also in a, a miracle in a neighborhood, working class neighborhood, uh, just keeping it real, if this happened in a neighborhood of power and influence in Upper Strata, it would have been dealt with. But in these neighborhoods on the margin, it's the last dregs. And it happened because we spoke truth to power and this neighborhood group, the, I think the senator um, saw the tenacity of this neighborhood group and um, it was because of our tenacity that he stuck with it, he stuck with us, and this happened. And now we actually got permission from the landowner who was, who was really our enemy, but we're trying to bless our enemy because he didn't like us because he knew we, we blew the whistle on him. Hmm. He said, yeah, you guys wanna, you guys wanna do a, a green space? Go ahead. Wow. And we got permission, um, so this is gonna make him look good. <laughs> but now it'll make the neighborhood look good. Yeah. So yeah, uh, so this is, the power of a neighborhood um, Salon network where we stuck together. We added to our network, others joined us. Hmm. We consider the Senator as part of our network because he's not coming in and his staff, they're not coming in and like lording it over us. They're actually contributing. So they're now part of our network. Yeah. It's a strange story, but it actually did happen. That's right. <laughs> I, can't figure out all, I can't figure out all the dynamics. Hmm. Uh, you can't try to, it's hard to put this in a box. It just kind of happens when you bring people together. Right. Well, and I think it's a great illustration of a couple of things. One is, I think there can be something very abstract about um, the call to work for Shalom in your city or neighborhood if if that remains of kind of an intangible concept, right? But if if you can focus it on saying in this, you know, city block, this sort of square of earth, we want to fix the things that are obviously broken. And by doing that, you attract people who are similarly concerned about making those wrong things right. And that it's it's not entire citywide shalom, but just right. imagine if that kind of thing is however many people you have in your group. If there's 30 people in your network. You know, there's a couple million people in Manhattan. If they were all involved in that kind of work, um, then the changes, which yeah. are very small in the individual locations, add up to you know, really significant change. And so it, I think it takes a con complex and what seems like an insurmountable kind of goal of citywide shalom, and it turns it into very concrete um, next step, something I can imagine being a part of, which is really powerful. And, and I'd like to add another dimension of shalom that's really critical. So in the three years working in, three plus years working with these neighbors, um, they, 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 they recognize who the church people are. You know, we all look holy, right? <laughs> um, and there's these conversations that take place very informal about the gospel. They just kind of break loose. And so um, 
what's happened is uh, there have been, you know, some of the conversations have gone further, you, you know, where people want to go further. They've turned into invitations to church and, and, and um, so we just let it happen and people, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't see the movement, but we know God's moving. Mm. Even pre-COVID, we had a few people show up to one of our church events. And then during COVID, um, some of the people, a couple of the people who were like, yeah, we're thinking about going to church, but you know, we'll see on our time. Okay, that's cool. Well, on Good Friday, they showed up on the Zoom. You can tell because the name, they didn't want to show their face, but the name popped up. <laughs> you know, you, somebody's iPhone. Well, I was just doing backflips because I'm like, this is awesome. Um, so the shalom is, is, extends itself to the gospel, not only to the, the well-being of the, of the community. And so we saw that happening in COVID. And it's interesting with the Zoom, the technology is a, a curse and a blessing. We know that. But I think the blessing is some people are coming onto Zoom services where they wouldn't walk in the door. Mm -hmm. uh, but they come on Zoom and they don't have to show their face. Now, we don't want the, that to stay that way. So that's where the curse is. If you just say, okay, mission accomplished. No, we don't want you to be the rest of your life zoomed. <laughs> we do want you to show up to our service, but it's an interesting way to see how the technology can help. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, we're not going to off topic, but anyway. No, that's great. Um, I think this has been very helpful. And I, I um, yeah, I'm encouraged by this. I think, uh, you know, our prior conversations and relationship have, have caused me to look at my immediate area differently. And I think I shared with you around Christmas, my children, for whatever reason, started they, they insisted on brushing their teeth while sitting at the top of the stairs, you know, outside our third floor apartment so that they could wish everyone who passed by a Merry Christmas. And um, we had been in the building for about six months and we, you know, said hello to our neighbors, but not much more than that. And, um, you know, by the end of that sort of Christmas season, our neighbors were exchanging small gifts with each other and speaking to each other in the hallway and that kind of thing. And it, and I think that our, having talked to you gave me a frame of reference for understanding that even though that seems like a small thing, it is a very uh, tangible representation of, of Shalom, right? It's neighbors who weren't in relationship are now in relationship and, and it, it did affect in some ways the sort of ethos of our hall. And it's not a ton of people, but it's, you know, maybe 30 people who, whose lives are just a little bit better and who know the faces behind the doors now and, that has opened space in my imagination for seeing how this works and ripples and, and really does accomplish great things and beginning with small beginnings. Yeah, it does. And during COVID it's even more heightened. Now, if you have neighbors in the building that you can help um, when COVID, when the, the health thing recedes, there's so many other issues behind now that are going to come out. Mental health issue. People have lost their jobs. Um, family issues just and now you have that relationship with those neighbors so it shouldn't stop when COVID is over it's like okay that's right we don't want to be crisis Christians where it's like okay we're in there in the crisis and when the crisis is over we're out right so yeah and these are going to open up a whole vista of relationships um for future ministry I believe yeah yeah that's great thank you Al so much for your time uh yep. as we sign off is there anything that I haven't asked that you wish I had asked or anything that you want to leave everybody with before we disappear? Yeah, um, I would say if you're doing community engagement, it, you can get weary because the needs are just insurmountable right now. Um, a couple of things, don't overthink it. 
because you're never going to outthink what's happening. Because some of us who are doing ministry, we like to plan and think. Some of it's intuitive. It's like, okay, like today I was on a call with um, a youth development provider in Washington Heights. And we're trying to figure out what to do with our, how to help our mentees this summer. High school mentees, because most summer programming is been canceled. Mm-hmm. And these teenagers are going to go through the roof, right? So we were talking about it and I said, what are you guys doing? Well, we're doing this. Well, maybe we can get together and do it. So just very intuitive conversations, mm-hmm. no, not long range planning or trying to build this scaffolding, just find out what the need is, get, get with other people. Uh, the, the need is immediate and, um, you know, come up with these intuitive solutions. Yeah. Um, but pace yourself because um, the, the Lord's kingdom is advancing. Hmm. Um, but we we just have to pace ourselves here. <laughs> That's and, a good word. And do some self care. Yeah. Excellent. That's great. Thank you so much for your time, Al. This has been a real pleasure. Good being with you. Yep. All right. Take care. <laughs>